I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 32. Um, Genesis chapter 32. Uh, if you've been here at all you know, in the last couple months, you know that we had spent a good chunk of time in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible. Uh, and, uh, and today we're going to be looking again at what, of, what I think is one of the most interesting characters in the Bible, a character, Jacob. So just to kind of catch you up to speed, um, so far in the Bible, uh, Jacob has uh, famously used a bowl of stew uh, to cheat his almost dead, starving brother out of his brother's inheritance. Uh, and then he used that same brother's clothes and some goat skin and some other things to trick his almost dead, blind father into helping to take advantage of his brother. And finally, uh, and we didn't get a chance to talk about this story, uh, but he used this elaborate animal breeding program uh, to trick his uncle out of a huge amount of wealth. In other words, so far in this story, Jacob has been very resourceful and really just a rotten guy. He has done a lot of people wrong. Uh, he's made a lot of enemies. He has burned a lot of bridges. And in our story today... Jacob's debts are finally coming due because brother Esau is on his way to town. This is that same brother, the one who featured in two of his cheating stories. And that second time especially was so nasty, so underhanded, so out of bounds that Esau pledged after that happened that he would kill his little brother his little twin brother, the first chance he got. So, uh, for the last 20 years, Jacob has been on the run from his brother Esau. He's been hiding, but now Esau is on his way, and Esau is not alone. Esau is coming for Jacob, and he has got 400 men coming with him. So, chapter 32, verse 7, says that when Jacob heard this about the 400 men and his brother coming, he was greatly afraid and distressed. And that is the setup for verses 9 to 11, when Jacob does something that he has never done before. Jacob asks God for help. O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, save me, I pray, from the hand of my brother Esau. Jacob asks God for help. And it's really something that it's taken this long for him to do it. Because Jacob's life has basically just been close call after close call. And what's more, God had actually promised Jacob a couple of times, specifically that, that he would bless Jacob and that he would protect Jacob. And yet for all the trouble that Jacob sees in story after story, Jacob had never thought to ask this promise-making God for help before. Jacob just relied on his own wits, his own cleverness, his own strength to get what he needed. Jacob is a guy who fixes his own problems. And honestly, he's never needed anyone's help until today. 400 men are coming. And so Jacob decides, maybe now is a good time to try out that prayer thing. And you'd think from God's perspective, you know, if God had made these promises to Jacob to protect him specifically, you would think that 
finally having Jacob pray would be like music to God's ear. He'd be so excited to hear Jacob pray. Uh, He would be eager to show up and save Jacob from this hurt and this pain that is coming down the road to get him. But in our story today, something very different happens. It is the day before Esau is going to show up, and Jacob, who's always scheming, even when he's praying, he's scheming, uh, Jacob has been sending these gifts down the road toward his brother. Um, 200 goats, 30 camels, 50 cows, 30 donkeys. And he sends them one group of animals after another, like 30 minutes apart. (laughs) Uh, So that his brother will just be inundated with gift after gift after gift. He's trying to bribe his brother, right? Into saving his life. But Esau and 400 of Esau's closest, biggest, meanest friends just keep coming down the road closer. And now it's the night before they're going to meet, the night before Jacob will finally have to answer for this life of tricks and lies, and Jacob can't sleep. And so he sends his family across this river to protect them, and and he waits on the other side by himself when a stranger shows up. And we pick it up in verse 24. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. The man asked him, what is your name? He answered, Jacob. Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with men and have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, which means face to face, saying, it is because I saw God face to face and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our story today is really mysterious. Um, I have got a ton of questions. Like the big one, why exactly is God wrestling Jacob? But also, why isn't God winning? Why doesn't God know Jacob's name? Why won't he tell Jacob his name? Why does he have to stop when the sun comes up? And maybe most importantly, what is the story doing in the Bible? I'll be honest with you, the more I studied the passage this week, the more questions I had. It's like every time I'd answer one question, 
I'd realize I had like five new ones to deal with now. This story is a mystery. And yet, I have found in my ministry as a pastor that as mysterious as this particular story is, as many questions as we all have about it after we read it, this story connects deeply with people. I think there's something about the wrestling image. Like as strange as that sounds, like as weird as it is to say that a man was wrestling with God, right? Because it sounds impossible. It, it, sounds, uh, it sounds illogical. And yet for a lot of us, it also sounds exactly true to our experience. In fact, I think that we are a church that is full of people who know how to wrestle with God. So in this church, we have people with questions. People who aren't sure. People who get frustrated with God, angry with God, disappointed with God, who have questions for God. People who want answers. I think for some of us, we wrestle with what God says or does in the Bible. God, are you, are you sure you wanted to say it that way? Is that really what you meant? Are we really supposed to think that that was you? For a lot of us, we wrestle with what God does, or really I think we struggle with what it seems God doesn't do in the world around us. Why does God let such awful people have so much power around the world? How are we supposed to believe in God, let alone trust God, in a world full of truck bombs and child soldiers and human trafficking and child abuse? And for almost all of us, the wrestling that we do with God is not abstract. It is deeply personal. Why did you let this happen to my family? How could you let my wife leave me? How could you let our father hurt us? How could you let my child get so sick? We are a church full of people who wrestle with God. And so this morning, to my fellow wrestlers, I want to propose, and I, I still can't decide, maybe there are three rules or there are three principles. Um, we'll call them three rules for wrestling with God from our passage today, okay? First rule, I got this one from a pastor in Nashville. He said, if you're going to wrestle with God, you may as well put up a good fight. Jacob wrestled all night long. And even after his opponent wanted to stop, Jacob kept holding on. If you're going to wrestle with God, you may as well put up a good fight. You know, I know from my own experience that uh, wrestling with God, wrestling with these kinds of questions or doubts, I know that it can be excruciating. I don't, I don't think people understand always like how consuming the wrestling can be. Like how it can kind of take over your life. 
I think some people don't quite appreciate like how deafening the, the silence of God in the face of some of our questions can be. And then, of course, sometimes the answer that we finally do get is even scarier than the question we started with. And then you look around and you see people whose faith seems to come so easily, and, and you, just, you just don't get it, I think, is what happens. You just don't understand. Wrestling is hard. It's exhausting. But I think part of the lesson of our story today is don't give up. And one of the hardest things for me is when I find out that, that one of you has been wrestling You've been troubled by some question or some issue with God, but you never reached out. Uh, not to me, not to anybody as far as I can tell. You just, you just disappeared. And, and I get it, right? People, people don't want like, cheap answers from their pastor, right? And they don't want cheap answers from anybody, but especially their pastor. And maybe sometimes I, I've let it slip, but... But here's the thing, in my experience, almost every question I've ever asked, almost every doubt that has ever kept me up late at night, has some answer, some response. I I mean, I I won't lie, I'm not going to oversell it. Um, The answers are not always super satisfying, okay? Um, And the odds that I'm going to know the answer, like right off the top, aren't always that great. But here's the thing, you and I are not the first people to wrestle with God. Others have gone ahead of us, and many of them are sitting around you, and they may be the very people who you think, I don't understand them. How does their faith come so easily? But you don't know their whole story. There are many people in this church who, like Jacob, have wrestled with God and have found themselves blessed on the other side. Remember, God was the one who initiated this wrestling match with Jacob. God is not against wrestling. Struggle. Work with him. Do not give up. Don't walk away. Hold on. Isn't it true that many of the best things in life are often the most demanding? If you're going to wrestle with God, you may as well put up a good fight. Second rule, if you're going to wrestle with God, don't be surprised if he dislocates something. Jacob wouldn't let go, and God dislocated his hip. That'd be a wake-up call, hey? You've been wrestling with this guy all night. It's like, whoa, maybe this wasn't such an even match after all. You might say, finally, at the end of this story, God played the God card. Verse 31, we read that Jacob walked away limping. Sometimes God needs to play the God card. Maybe show us who's in charge. Sometimes God needs to dislocate something to get us where he needs us to be. And I try not to say this to you all when, like, when you're in the middle of it, but I have said this before. That when something is going wrong in your life, when you experience some major disappointment or setback, when everything seems to be going wrong, that is often the time that God is doing his best work in you. 
I mean, think of Jacob. So he had spent his whole life relying on himself, right? So he'd cut the corners and he'd make the plans. And like, even when he prayed to God, he was still scheming these gifts to pay his brother off, right? Jacob was not good at trusting anyone but himself. And so maybe God dislocated his hip to teach him for once, stop relying on your own strength, man. Stop forcing things to happen. Trust me. Right? By dislocating his hip, God didn't give Jacob much of a choice. He had to trust, right? By the time he met Esau later that day, Jacob was broken. He was limping. On the most crucial day of his life, when he, had, when he would have wanted to feel the strongest, God made him the weakest. By the way, the name of the river where all this happens in Hebrew, it means empty. God emptied Jacob at that river. God made sure that Jacob would not trust himself but God. And by the way, God proved himself trustworthy. In the next sequence, Jacob and his brother make a peace. God dislocates things sometimes. And, and I, I won't pretend like I always know why he does it, but I suspect sometimes he's trying to do for us what he did for Jacob. He's asking us to trust him. He's emptying us so that we have to. In the New Testament, God famously tells uh, the Apostle Paul, who had some kind of disability himself, um, and, and Paul had pleaded with God to take it away, uh, and God tells Paul that God's power is made perfect in our weakness when we're empty. If you're going to wrestle with God, don't be surprised if he dislocates something. All right, third final rule. If you're going to wrestle with God, expect to be changed. So when Jacob came to this spot on the river, he was kind of carrying the weight of like a whole lifetime of sins. Right? Right? All these ways that he had lied and cheated and deceived people, it just like hung like this cloud over his head. 20 years later, 20 years on the run, he still could not escape his past. Even his name was a reminder of what a scoundrel he'd been. So Jacob's name means heel, like the back of your foot. Uh, and, and it's a reference to his birth. When, when he came out uh, of the womb, literally grabbing the heel of his twin brother Esau. Like he was trying to like snatch ahead. He was trying to get ahead even then. And so I don't think it's a small thing when God asked Jacob to say his name. It is not that God did not know Jacob's name. God knew Jacob's name. I think this was God's way of asking Jacob to admit who he'd been. God is asking Jacob to own up to all the baggage that has stuck to him all these years. And by the way, I think every good wrestling match with God needs at least a moment like this. A moment of uh, self-examination. I think a lot of times we wrestle with God and we are sure that God is the problem. 
He's done something wrong, right? He's disappointed me. But of course, what a lot of people in this church will tell you is a lot of times after wrestling with God, they realize the problem was less with God and more with them. God asks Jacob to look in the mirror and admit who he is, that he's the the heel grabber. But then as soon as he says his name, as soon as he comes clean, God gives Jacob a new name, Israel, the struggler who overcomes. That's a better name, isn't it? And by the end of the next chapter, this change is starting to take root. So up till now, if you remember verse 9, whenever Jacob referred to God, he talked about God as the God of his fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac. But in chapter 33, at the end, he builds this altar to give thanks to God, and he calls that altar El Elohe Israel, which means the altar to God, the God of Israel. In other words, not just the God of my dad, not just, the dad of, not just the God of my grandfather, not just the God of my family, my God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, here's the bottom line. When Jacob first prayed that prayer to God in verse 11, he wanted some kind of blessing, like he wanted protection. He, he saw this trouble coming on the horizon, and, and he asked God to spare him from that, to, to provide a way to avoid all that pain. That's a pretty normal prayer. We, we pray prayers like that all the time. There's nothing wrong with a prayer like that. But God knows what Jacob needs better than Jacob does. And God knew that for Jacob to understand God's blessing, he didn't need, Jacob, he didn't need to, to help Jacob avoid the pain. He needed to help Jacob go through the pain, right? He needed Jacob to wrestle. And I think that this can be such a hopeful story um, for the wrestlers in our church. I think our story today shows us that it is often through the wrestling, not avoiding God, but holding on for dear life. It is through the struggle that we learn in new ways that we can trust God. He is good. We can trust him. And I think it is through the pain, it is through that struggling, it is through the wrestling that our faith becomes not just something of our parents, not just something of our friends, not just something of our community, but it becomes something of our own. All right, let's pray together.